Hi, welcome to More Like the Reentry Podcast, a podcast about offender reentry, reform, and advocacy. I'm your host, Vankedia Gardner. Thank you for joining me today. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing how incarceration impacts children and how it impacts their well-being, as well as how we can address the needs of children that are dealing with a parental incarceration. So for today's episode, I have an expert with me that does research in specifically this area. So Dr. K- Kristen Turney, I'm so sorry, Dr. Kristen Turney is a professor of sociology at the University of California. She received her PhD in sociology from the University of Pennsylvania, and her current research examines the consequences of criminal justice contact for family life. So more specifically, she investigates the repercussions of criminal justice contact on the well-being of children and families over time. She also looks at the relationship between criminal justice contact and family inequality and evaluates the processes through which the criminal justice system contact, through which criminal justice contact fosters resilience. Um, So without further ado, I really want to thank Dr. Turney for being on our episode with us today to share her expertise. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so we're going to jump right into the conversation. Um, So children with incarcerated parents is a very, I don't know if it's like, I wouldn't say neglected topic, but it's kind of overlooked in the field a lot sometimes. And the way I've seen it is like children are generally the, the hidden consequences of parental incarceration or just incarceration in general. So I think it's just a very important topic for us to explore, as I know that there are a lot of people incarcerated that may have children. So Dr. Turney, where I want to to kind of start the conversation is, could you kind of talk to us about these kind of current trends of incarcerations, I guess, as it relates to children and parents being incarcerated? Sure, that's a great question. Um, We know from so much research that's been done in the past decade or so that um, so many children are experiencing the incarceration of their mother or their father. So a recent study um, data shows that um, more than one third of children who are born in urban areas, by the time that they're nine years old, they've experienced the incarceration of their father. Um, Just that's sort of one statistic that um, sort of just shows the scope of how um, prevalent this experience is for children. Um, This is something we, most people who are incarcerated, most men who are incarcerated, most women who are incarcerated have children. Um, And so oftentimes when we started doing research and we started, you know, researchers really started to understand, wow, the criminal legal system is expansive and incarceration is such a large problem in in this country. Initially, the focus is on the people who are incarcerated for good reason, for really, really good reason, right? Um, Lots of people are incarcerated. Um, The people, like two things, lots of people are incarcerated and there's an extreme inequality, as I'm sure you know, and other listeners know, in who gets incarcerated. So inequality by race, race and ethnicity, inequality by educational attainment, inequality by what neighborhood you live in and things like that. And so research sort of initially um, documented the just the sheer number of people who are being incarcerated and the sheer and horrific inequality in terms of who is being incarcerated. But then researchers really started to think, wow, these inc- people who are incarcerated, 
these men and women who are incarcerated in jails and prisons across this country, they're not social isolates. They're not disconnected from their family members, their fathers, their mothers, their siblings, their children. Um, and they're really connected to broader families and communities. And, um, and so accordingly, um, lots of, I mean, to put it very simply, lots of people are incarcerated, most of whom, the majority of whom have children, lots of children are being exposed to um, parental incarceration over the course of their lives. So what I'm hearing from you is the chances of me, you, and our audience knowing someone that's incarcerated, they have a child, or just interacting with a child, they have an incarcerated parent. Like the likelihood of that is very high. It sure is. I'm thinking about a recent study that was focused on family member incarceration. So um, not necessarily um, parental incarceration, but a survey, a nationally representative survey of adults in the United States recently found that 45% of adults in the United States have an immediate family member who's been incarcerated. So by immediate family member, that means either a parent, a sibling, a child, or a partner or spouse. Um, but 45% of people in this country have an immediate family member who's experienced incarceration. Um, you know, and another, another uh, close to about 45 or 46% of people have um, an, an extended family member who's experienced an incarceration. So an aunt, a cousin, an uncle, things like that. Um, so this is something that is extremely common. And for certain groups of the population, for racial and ethnic minorities, for, you know, for people of color, for people um, who are living in sort of, sort of economically disadvantaged neighborhoods, it's even more common. Yeah, and I'm glad you uh, touched on that. And so that that right there in itself, it says you said 45% to like 46% of individuals had either an immediate family member or an extended family member um, that have been or involved in incarceration in some form or fashion. Like that's a really big number. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, uh, like <laughs> that, I don't know, like that is just a really large number and it is such a common experience. And so I guess when we're talking about children, and you mentioned earlier there were certain groups um, that are more likely to experience um, incarceration or by their parents, and you talked about race, um, ethnicity. I wonder if you could just expand a little bit more on that, or are there other factors that increase that likelihood besides those? Yeah, that's a great question. The majority of the research focuses on racial and ethnic inequalities and inequalities by educational attainment or other markers of social class. Those are sort of the two um, biggest, um, like the two aspects of inequality that has been have been studied the most um, in terms of um, trying to think of like, if I can, I don't have any numbers off the top of my head, um, but the inequalities are quite, they're quite um, striking. Okay. Yeah. And that, I mean, like, that makes sense. I feel like a lot of the literature I've read too has talked about, you know, race and ethnicity and just um, social class being like contributing factors to why certain groups are more likely to experience, well, more likely for their parents to be incarcerated. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so I guess moving on in like our conversation, 
Can you talk to us a little bit about common experiences that are associated with children that have incarcerated parents that, you know, I guess these experiences are different from those who don't have incarcerated parents? Yeah, that's another really good question. Um, And I guess I probably want to make, well, a couple of points here. (laughs) The first one is that um, children who have incarcerated parents compared to children who don't on average, experience worse outcomes across the board in terms of educational achievement and attainment, in terms of behavioral and mental health problems, in terms of physical health problems, um, in terms of sort of material hardship and deprivation. um, We know that children who have incarcerated parents um, do experience a lot of disadvantages as a result of their parents' incarceration. I want to say a couple, like, that's kind of the broad, that's like the big picture statement, right? Um, I would say a couple of things are important um, to note or like important qualifiers. So one is that listeners may be thinking, just for example, children who have incarcerated fathers have worse behavioral outcomes than their counterparts who don't have incarcerated fathers. Listeners, um, astute listeners might be thinking, well, aren't children of incarcerated fathers likely to experience other sorts of disadvantages, right? That And so is it really the father's incarceration that's creating negative outcomes for children? Or is it something else that both leads fathers to incarceration and children to have worse outcomes? So I'm thinking about things such as like violence or substance abuse of fathers or Um, you know, poverty, right, living in poverty, and all sorts of things that might both drive somebody to be incarcerated and drive their children to have challenges in their mental health, right? And so the key thing with research is to really try to understand how much of this is due to the effect of father's incarceration, and how much of it is due to things um, that would have that things that are associated with the father's incarceration, but not exactly the incarceration itself. So a lot of researchers, sociologists, economists are really trying to um, spend a lot of time trying to identify what is the effect of incarceration? What it, does incarceration have a causal effect? If you compare a child, and, you, and you, you can't do this in real life, but you can do it with statistics, right? So if you compare a child who has an incarcerated father to the exact same child who doesn't have an incarcerated father, does that child who has the incarcerated father have worse outcomes, right? So researchers use a lot of, um, you know, fancy statistical methods to try to um, understand the causal effect of, of incarceration, paternal incarceration, or maternal incarceration on children's outcomes. I think I think that's really important for a lot of reasons. I think for policy reasons, it's really um, for understanding policy and changing policy, we want to, it's important, right? So we want to know, is it the incarceration or is it other things? Is it poverty? Is it poverty that's causing children's negative outcomes? And it's important to understand those differences for policy. It, is it worth investing money in reducing incarceration rates or is it, or is money better spent by reducing poverty, right? So like there's a good, there's a time and a place for really understanding those, what um, you know, what we would call the causal effects of incarceration. Um, on the other hand, I would say that life doesn't operate like a bunch of statistical models, <laughs> and you can't just control for 
things, right? Um, and so I think that while that it's on the one hand, it's really important to understand the causal effect of incarceration. It's also really important to understand the whole context of children's lives and everything that they're experiencing. And that, that those um, fancy statistics and modeling strategies are great. But in reality, when you're dealing with people, you know, you can't just like hold constant all the all the stuff, right? And so I would say that a lot of the work um, and like where I think the field needs to move and I'm I'm kind of working, I have some work in progress on this now, but I think where the field needs to move is really trying to understand holistically children's lives and sort of the context that they're embedded in, um, maybe with qualitative data, maybe with some other, you know, some other types of data to really understand like to go beyond understanding just, is there an effect? Is there a causal effect of incarcerate, parental incarceration on children's outcomes? Instead, like, why is there an effect? What's going on? What's happening for kids? What are the mechanisms at play? Um, what are some factors that can make kids resilient to in parental incarceration, right? Some children are incredibly, um, are either impervious like to the effects of incarceration or they're incredibly resilient or they've got some coping strategies and how do how can we support kids um in in that manner so i think that's sort of where the field um needs to go or is going i think yeah so that's where they're moving toward just kind of and i think that's what we mentioned earlier in your research interest of how does like incarceration or parental incarceration foster resilience is kind of what you were talking about there yeah and for what which kids are most affected like which kids are most harmed by parental incarceration and which kids are less harmed by parental i mean it's not having i mean it's not like it's positive for anybody but some kids you know, if they have appropriate supports in place, um, may not be um, suffering as harmful of consequences, right? So I think trying to understand for which kids, um, which kids are sort of most at risk, because that can help us try to figure out where to direct our resources, where where to intervene, which children um, maybe may benefit most from interventions and things like that. And for, you know, for which kids may other types of interventions be useful. So, you know, potentially, um, you know, helping to reduce poverty or um, income supports or things like that. And just curious, because I, I don't have a lot of knowledge or uh, information in this area, but do they have, uh, I guess, what we would call um, methods or testing things that help you identify which kids are most at risk or which kids are least at risk for, you know, these type of concerns when it comes to parental incarceration? Yeah, for sure. I would say like a quick, like, and researchers have been doing this, right? So some researchers have done work to see, for example, um, are boys more susceptible? Are they, do they experience more negative consequences of paternal incarceration than girls, for example. So that would be like one way that you could look at that statistically by just comparing, you know, looking at boys and looking at the association between paternal incarceration and outcomes and then looking at girls and seeing if it's similar or not. Um, you know, you could also, yeah. So that's like one common way to do it statistically is to just be able to look at sort of subgroup differences. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes sense, man. That's something I've um, 
I haven't gotten a chance to really explore yet. So I'll have to write that on my list of going to look and research some more about. Okay, well, yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. Another thing I wanted to ask you, because I know specifically that you have some work done in this area of just talking about how parental incarceration impacts children's well-being. Do you think you can elaborate and explain a little bit about that for us? Yeah, so in terms of like, so I think um, a sort of, at the risk of being a little bit repetitive, I would say that there's a large body of research that shows that parental incarceration has these negative effects for children across a lot of domains. So across their educational attainment and achievement, their behavioral outcomes, their mental health outcomes, their, you know, their physical health outcomes. And so a lot of my work in this vein sort of looks at, um, you know, so I've done some work looking at children's mental health and some work looking at children's educational outcomes um, and being able to, to sort of parse out first, what is, you know, is there an association? Are children who experience um, parental incarceration, do they do worse than their counterparts who don't in terms of a variety of outcomes? Um and and then sort of similarly, like, um, you know, like I have a re some recent work that looks at like at what point in the life course is it and this might be actually relevant. You might be interested in this at like what point in the life course when children experiencing parental incarceration is um, does it have the worst, the most negative effects? So I find, for example, that um, children who experience paternal incarceration in particular during early childhood. So when they're between the ages of like one and five, um, they the negative effects on their mental health outcomes, so internalizing behaviors, externalizing behaviors, is much larger than when kids experience um, paternal incarceration in um, middle childhood or in, um, in adolescence. So the early childhood period seems to be really, really critical. And like, do you have an understanding of why that is or like why that period is so critical? Yeah. And I think it's like the, those findings are really consistent with um, sort of a lot of work in developmental psychology that shows that this period of early childhood is just like, a, I think um, they, they, a lot of um, scholars call it this critical period, right? So it's this critical period where sort of, um, you know, children are developing and they're sort of, for lack of a better word, they're like habits are getting, not their habits, but their things are getting, you know, it's hard to like reverse course sometimes, right? So like the, the, the something that happens in early childhood, so like an adverse childhood experience that happens early on in the life course can really, really have these long lasting effects because it sets in, it can potentially set in motion sort of a cascade of disadvantages, right? So you can imagine a child, like let's, like thinking specifically, you can imagine a child who experiences the incarceration of a father, that child may experience a whole cascade of effects that stem from their father's incarceration. So they may experience reduced income in their household, right? So dad was working beforehand um, and is you know, no longer contributing to the family um, after his incarceration. Incarceration is also very expensive, right? So there's all these fines and fees um, that families have to pay, um, even you know, even if families have a public defender and aren't paying bail, there's still like incarceration is very, very expensive, right? So this, so you can imagine a hypothetical child experiences reduced income, then maybe has to move, right? Because they 
um, you know, their mom or whomever is their caregiver can no longer afford to stay in that house, right? So then they're experiencing potentially changes in schools, potentially changes in like household members, right? Um, their parents may, there's a whole body of research that shows that relationships really suffer, relationships between couples really suffer when one person's incarcerated, which makes complete sense, right? It's very difficult to maintain communication um, when one partner is behind bars, right? So you could, so this child experience could potentially experience a whole cascade of stressors that stem from the incarceration that then just kind of, you know, can cascade and persist over time. Um, having sort of these longer term consequences. Yes, for sure. And that makes a lot of sense. Like there are a lot of other, um, like you said, things that are kind of put on top of the kid, on top of the, on top of dealing with the incarceration that, that just that experience of loss is already something that you have to you know, cope with and deal with. And then these other things that kind of come with it, like you say, reduce income or strain in relationships, different things like that can cause another level of stress for children. Um, and I know earlier you mentioned and you started talking a little bit about like where should we be going in the field and like what should we be doing? Um, and I want to, I want you to talk a little bit more about that. But first I wanted to ask you, how are we currently addressing, you know, these consequences that you're discussing? In terms of, um, tell me what you mean by that. How are we addressing it? Um, this could be just in like, uh, are there programs out there that uh, schools are using or practitioners are using that have been helpful? Um, yes, those type of things. Yeah, so I'm a little bit less familiar with that research. Um, I would say I, you know, anecdotally, I can speak to like, there's one program um, in, it started in LA County um, at a high school called POPs. Uh, I think it stands for, yeah, it stands for Pains of the Prison System. And it's um, essentially um, a support group for children, for teenagers in high school who have um, an incar, who are system impacted in some way. So they have an incarcerated parent, they have an incarcerated sibling or something like that. And it's really, really, um, I went to, this was a while ago now, it was right before the pandemic, but I went to one of their meetings and it was really, really beautiful. It was a really nice opportunity for students who have been impacted by the criminal legal system to really um, um, sort of reflect on their experiences and share. And they had shared some short stories and poetry and things like that. Um, so I think that there's, I mean, I think there are programs out there that can certainly provide supports to children. Okay, yes, and I think I, I've heard of just like quite a few um, programs or just things like Sesame Street. I know that they have a small little program that they do where you can download an app, just different things like that. So I know I know that they're out there and I know that they're effective um, and I, I wanted to continue the conversation of asking you, are there other things that we should be doing in conjunction with, you know, I know these programs are effective, but what else could we be doing? And I know earlier you mentioned that looking at children from a more holistic perspective, um, is there anything else you would like to add there? Yeah, I think, gosh, um, so many things we can be doing. I would say one, 
think awareness is really important, right? So I think um, an awareness and a um, an awareness and an acceptance, right? So I think that there's um, from some of the work that I've done, some children really talk about feeling stigmatized, right? They they use different, they don't use that word, but they use you know they use different language. Um, and being stigmatized by their schools or their teachers or things like that, right? And so I think like um, just one, the more we can make um, school, you know, school districts um, aware of the challenges that children may be experiencing, that this is a very common experience, right? That like there, it often is a very unfair experience and it doesn't mean that their parent has like engaged in some horrific criminal activity, right? Like it's very, very common um, for children to experience this. I think that like that and that kind of knowledge can really go a long way. Um, It sounds simple, right? But I think that it can really help reduce the stigma um, and allow children to access supports that they may have available to them, but maybe don't want to disclose um, what's going on in their family. Um, other things, I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think we can, I mean, we can think about support for children and I think we should think about support for children. I don't want to like take the conversation away from that, but I think there, there's also things we can do structurally, um, in this country to just reduce the incarceration rates, period. I think, um, you know, in some ways, the pandemic has been an opportunity to release people. I have a, um, in some other work, I've been doing a lot of work tra- looking at um, COVID in carceral facilities across the country and how um, COVID has just like permeated, um, you know, jails and prisons um, across the country, in particular, I'm really focused on California, where I'm located. Um, And I think that COVID, it was an opportunity for us to reduce incarceration rates, right? When you think about COVID and you think about the pandemic, I mean, how is, how is somebody who's incarcerated able to socially distance and get proper medical care? And I mean, it's just horrific, right? And there was an opportunity there to release people. And I think there was a lot of lip service to releasing people early on in the pandemic, but it didn't seem to have much of a lasting impact. Um, Anyway, that's a bit of a digression on like another project, but, um, and something else that I'm really passionate about, but I think that um, we can use this, like we could have used the pandemic as an opportunity to release people and to stop locking people up in this country. Um, And I think that that is like a structural intervention that could of course help children out downstream, but also help out many people, people who are incarcerated, their family members. Um, One of the things that I find, um, we haven't really talked about it, but one of the things I think is really important about the criminal legal system is this distinction between jails and prisons. And in a lot of my work, I focus on jails and I'm really interested in jails because I feel like understanding what happens in jails is really like the first step to understanding or it's like complementary to understanding what happens in prisons. And most people, I think most listeners are going to know this, but most people in jail in this country have not been convicted of any crime. They're just awaiting trial. They're just sitting in jail, waiting for their case to be adjudicated, waiting to either take a plea deal, waiting to get a sentence. 
um, or some sort of other adjudication. And it seems like those people could be doing that at home. In, at the very least, it seems like they could be doing that at home in a way that wouldn't disrupt their families, themselves and their families and their children, right? And so I think that like in terms of policy, I often think about bail reform as being like a real low hanging fruit. Like this just seems very clear. Like the research is very clear. Um, most people who are in jail are not dangerous to society, are not like violent or things like that, right? And they could be awaiting, um, they could be waiting, like getting their case adjudicated from their home where their children wouldn't have to experience their absence. I think those are very solid points because um, there are some structural barriers, like you said, that we have to adjust and eliminate and figure out first, um, as well as, you know, there are the things of like poverty and, you know, dealing with, you know, loss and and they have programs that can do that for children. Um, but there also are some larger things that keep people away from their children just because they're systematic or because we have these legal barriers, things like that. So I do thank you for bringing that up and that distinction between jail and prisons, because often I hear people all the time use those words interchangeably. And, and I'm like, okay, I get it. It's all incarceration, but the experiences are a little different. Um, yes, the experiences are a little different. And they could be, people in jail could just be doing that at home. We're wasting resources and money housing them absolutely absolutely it's like win-win for everybody right (laughs) yeah but you know that's a whole nother conversation that we could go into um but it does it does just show like it has an impact on children and it will continue to have an impact on children if we continue to operate our criminal justice system in this way um so i guess also just thinking because we've talked about policy you what can I know community members, um, practitioners, teachers, because a lot of children, they should be in school, um, are in these teachers' classes um, or in these neighborhoods. What can we do to assist with the children that we see that have parental, that whose parents are incarcerated? Yeah, I think that's great. I think, I mean, it's a great question. I think there's things we can do. We can listen, right? We can listen non-judgmentally and like let children talk to us about their experiences um let them share what they're what they're going through um in a in a way that feels really safe for them um i think we are not all trained to be therapists though so i think it's also important to keep that in mind and to um help connect children to resources and to professionals who are trained, right? Like we can all, we can listen, but in terms of, um, you know, I think connecting children to professional resources, we can also do that. Um, Cause there are people who are professionals and are trained and are really good at this. Yeah, I definitely agree. And one of the things that I also wanted to add, if you don't mind, is you talked about awareness earlier. Um, and I think that's just a really big piece of community members is, just seeking more information about parental incarceration and its impacts um, on children well-being, on the people that are surrounding them, the other caregivers that are taking care of the children in place of the parents, um, just trying to seek more information um, and how you could be of assistance or just 
being aware that this is a problem or um, that these children are experiencing these challenges. And like you said, being open and non-judgmental. Um, so I really do appreciate that. And I think that is all like really great um, suggestions and recommendations. And one way I always like to close out with before we close out is I want to ask you if there was one thing you wanted the audience to remember about children with incarcerated parents, what would it be? Um, that they're a very diverse group. Um, that they are, they're a very diverse group in terms of who they are, who their parents are, the types of incarceration experiences that they've endured, right? It's not sort of this monolithic group where they're all the same, right? Some children are experiencing, um, for example, a prison, their father has a 15-year prison sentence, right? And they, their father is located, you know, up, you know, Northern California, and they live in Southern California, and they are, you know, seeing their father once a year for a visit, right? Whereas other children who experience incarceration are experiencing their father churning in and out of um, jail, repeatedly, right? So their dad's in for 10 days, out for 10 days, in for 20 days, out for a few months, back in, right? And those are very, very different experiences for children, right? I mean, no judgment on what's better or worse, and they just come with different sets of challenges. But I think it's really important for us to remember that um, that this, that the, what children are experiencing is really quite diverse. Um, also, just like one more example, you know, oftentimes we lump in kids who are experiencing parental incarceration, but I think it's really different as to whether a child experiences the incarceration of a father or the incarceration of a mother, right? When children experience the incarceration of a mother, mothers are almost, almost always primary caregivers. So when children's mothers are incarcerated, what is most more likely to happen, children are more likely to be, um, have to move households, move in with extended family, um, um, get exposure to the child welfare system, right? Maybe be placed in foster care. Whereas when children's fathers are incarcerated, they often still stay with their mothers, right? And again, I'm not, um, I'm not suggesting that one is better or worse or easier or harder. I think those are like a very, they're just very different sets of challenges. Um, so children who stay, you know, whose father is incarcerated and stays with their mother, their mother may, may be enduring a lot, right? And so that might be a very challenging experience. Um, anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but I think it's like just important to think through. Um, there's so much variation in how kids ha even have this experience, let alone the effects of the experience on them. Yes, and I think that was a very important differentiation to make of like, like you said, it's not about better or worse or easier or harder. It's just, there's so much, um, like you said, diversity in the experiences um, that come with different challenges. So I think that was a great point to make. And I appreciate you sharing all of your expertise on the topic. And um, I hope the listeners enjoyed our conversation. Um, yes, I enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> Yes, yes ma'am. Well, I want to end. Is there anything you want to add before we end off today? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, 
like, as always, you guys, thank you for tuning in to our episode today. And thank you, Dr. Turney, for being on here with us today. More Life really appreciates it. Um, as always, her information will be in the description box. And if you enjoy More Life, follow us on Instagram at More Life The Reentry Podcast. Thank you.